seen you actually built a 3D fax machine? Well, we figured out how to transmit an object to 1357. You actually made it work? Right, we found documents with my father's writing on it. We found his glasses. What are you trying to tell us that he faxed it back to the 14th century? The fact is, your father is in the 14th century. We need you to help us get him back. Think of it as the ultimate field trip. saying they could be stuck there forever. We got 650 years of knowledge on these guys. If we put our heads together, we should get out of here in 20 minutes. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Below Freezing with CJ and Micah. I'm CJ. I'm Micah. And this is a weekly show where we unthaw a different movie that comes in at or below 32% on Rotten Tomatoes. And, um, you know, this week is... uh, is about a movie that we did not know existed until a month ago. Yes. And I'm, I'm teetering on whether or not I am like happy that we watched it because it is the type of movie that doesn't get made anymore. And you know how I feel about the type of movie that doesn't get made anymore. (laughs) I do. And I think that it is I I would like this type of movie back this attract you know attractive people under 35 save the world or go on an adventure or something and outside of you know like superhero movies and stuff like that which is sort of the you know big blockbuster thing du jour but it's also surprising because it's directed by dick donner and or richard donner excuse me uh like i know him dick donner um (laughs) is directed by is directed by richard donner and it's it was the second to last movie before he passed away the last one was 16 blocks a few years uh after this but uh the movie that we're talking about is called timeline and i literally came across the trailer on imdb and i was like "Ooh, what is this thing with this insane cast and uh and we watched it last night and it sure is a movie yeah and there are people in it uh cameras were used in the making of it and my god is there a score (laughs) (laughs) i have some feelings about the score a hit that sticks like grits um (laughs) so uh yeah and to unthaw it with us this week is a good buddy of mine old friend of mine filmmaker and photographer james williams hey james hey guys how you doing oh we're good uh this is uh i I will say this. I am happy that we watched this instead of Catwoman. And I do want to do Catwoman at some point because James was supposed to come on for the 2004 Halle Berry Catwoman, a movie that has a reputation that I feel is only like 30% deserved. Yes. Uh, and and maybe sometime when you come back, we'll 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 have you to we'll have you on to do that one as well. But okay, so timeline is, or as I prefer to call it, time facts, is the brainchild is one of the brain children of Michael Crichton, uh, a man uh, responsible for writing a lot of books that aren't great that sometimes get turned into fun stuff um 
He is the writer, most notably, of Jurassic Park, a book that I despise uh, <laughs> that got turned into one of my favorite movies of all time. So it is. It, if you've read any of his stuff, if you've read stuff like Congo and 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 all this, so you sort of know the. Uh, he, he's a big high concept guy uh, and not necessarily an execution guy. Uh, And this movie is very much, I think the same way. Yeah. It, it's got a lot. uh, I can tell what it thought it was Mm -hmm. and like what it wants to be doing. Um, This would have been a much better movie. I think without the high concept stuff like if this so this is a movie about some people traveling back in time to this day of a specific battle between Mm -hmm. the english and the french and it had just been a historical movie about that battle between the english and a french and the french i think it could have been a lot of fun but it's that's not all it is (laughs) and so it's trying to do all this other stuff that i don't think works yeah i think james is the only person here who had seen this movie prior to having to watch it for this podcast yeah um i first saw it back when it first came out and this was like i would say i think it came out in 2003 yep yep you saw it in theaters and i was young Mm -hmm. and i was like oh paul walker okay why not yeah he was he was hot off of fast and the furious uh when when this came out among among other things like uh, 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 you, what was the other one he was in we talked about it so much last night when we were watching this Micah Varsity, uh, Varsity Blues. Blues Varsity Blues uh, so it was definitely like Varsity Blues uh, Fast and the Furious and and uh, she, oh She's All That oh, that's a classic. check out the Bobos on Super Freak um, <laughs> I will never forget that line check out the Bobos on Super Freak um, and I will never forget that M. Night Shyamalan wrote it anyway <laughs> Yeah, M. Night Shyamalan wrote She's All That. Uh, but the. <laughs> but with this movie, I think there's been sort of a cultural reappraisal of Paul Walker's body of work and his sort of talent as an actor since his tragic passing a few years ago. And, you know, I think Paul Walker was very good at the things he did, and he didn't do more because he couldn't do more i think that's yeah i think that's fair he he's got his character and he Mm -hmm. plays that one character well (laughs) because that is his range is that one character he he, he's very much an everyman you can the, the audience can sort of like plaster themselves onto him even though he is the protagonist of this movie and he very much should not be oh yeah it so uh, generally the gist of the film so we can get started into the recap oh well, actually before we get started into the recap do you have the rotten tomato score pulled up and the consensus i do so the score is 11 percent and the yeah That's a little harsh. <laughs> and the critics consensus is this incoherently plotted addition to the time travel genre looks and sounds cheesy were there a lot of time travel movies at that point i mean just like sort of swimming around i know there was like the time machine yeah hg wells the time machine that that got adapted around this time time traveler's wife but i feel like that was a few years after this yeah yeah i mean i i kind of agree with them the movie um does not make a ton of sense 
Uh, it, but yeah. I think once you get like about 30% of the way in it, there's a lot of setup that goes into it where it's sort mm-hmm. of like thrown into the Middle Ages or whatever. And there's this man who's running from soldiers from the Middle Ages, but he is also running in the middle of a desert and there's a lot of quick cuts the beginning of it is really edited the way movie trailers used to be edited yeah a lot of that beginning it's lots of like quick cuts from scene to scene they're not exactly linked together really in any kind of narrative sequence it's just like Mm -hmm. thing happens boom thing happens boom thing happens boom so it makes it really hard to connect with any of it yeah. I felt like it was just kind and of washing over me and it was a lot of exposition and I didn't care about any of it. Same here. It was just so many like fast cuts and just, it was just nauseating. Just a little bit. It's interesting just because Michael Crichton's work and adaptations of his work really do have kind of a formula. Like uh, there is an attack, right? And then you are introduced to various uh, and sundry characters who are all going to uh, die at some point and then you go somewhere and there's and there's an objective but that's it there's there, there is the attack there is the introduction of all the characters and then there is the journey into whatever high concept thing he is thought up at the time and when we meet the all all the characters they're introduced very much like uh, the characters in Jurassic Park are introduced. They call themselves archaeologists. They do. Mm-hmm. And they're doing some archaeologist stuff, I guess. Uh, yeah. But in most the beginning. Of the ar- yeah, in the beginning. But most of the archaeology that gets done in this movie is not archaeology. It's not. It is anthropology. <laughs> and it is historical, <laughs> so cultural anthropology. Frustrating. I have a bunch of friends who are doing their their PhDs in anthropology, and I really want them to watch this movie and give me their thoughts about what these characters are doing. Because mm-hmm. it's not archaeology. She like they go down in a like a tunnel and they dust off some stuff and they pick up some artifacts, but all of the skills they use in going back to um this like time machine and going back to medieval France and then all of the knowledge about medieval France that they have. It's just, it's all anthropology. So it makes archeology span doesn't teach you about civilizations. It is just rocks and bones generally and not to shit on archeology, span but it is generally rocks and bones. Whereas they are using all of this sort of social knowledge that they have at the time period to sort of navigate their way through uh, this time that they're trapped in and it's all i literally we both at some point were just like (laughs) because (laughs) just because the movie kept saying archaeology when they meant anthropology but that's neither here nor there the cast of this movie like i said is really wild it's paul walker gerard butler francis o'connor billy Connolly, neil mcdonough who has just always look like he that. Just not, uh, he just looks the same. Yeah, people people give a lot to Paul Rudd about about uh, <laughs> basically looking like bigger clueless, and yes. no one here, he no one's here for Neil McDonough. I mean, give my man some props, but Ethan Embry, who has been in like at least six of the movies that we've watched for this show so far. <laughs> 
Setting and a trend. He's really <laughs> obnoxious in this movie. Yes. He is very obnoxious in this movie, but it, but he's also a part of the movie's B plot, which itself is just really obnoxious. Yeah. Oh, so generally we meet all these people. Uh, meet all these people. Uh, Paul Walker is uh, this American person whose father is inexplicably Billy Connolly, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> which I was. He was like dad, and then Billy Connolly shows up, and I was like, oh well, fine. <laughs> sure, right. we're getting into the time facts. No, there's no rules, um, and. The father has to go away in the midst of him also talking to the Gerard Butler character who is in love with anthropology, which he calls archaeology, and the Francis O'Connor character who Paul Walker is is in love with as Gerard Butler is with anthropology, which he calls archaeology. And there's all this set up and it's happening like a mile a minute. It's going so fast Mm -hmm. that these people that you don't even care about are kind of a blur. Yeah, there and there are a lot of people that we do kind of need to care about in order for the rest of the narrative to have a point because it's basically yeah. setting up your D&D party of people who are going to travel through time to go back to mm-hmm. rescue Billy Connolly who has apparently gotten stuck in the 1300s. Yeah, okay, yeah. So we we don't have to gloss we don't we can just gloss over like all of the lead up to the fact that Billy Connolly disappeared. And then they did it. Yeah, because none of that really And that was just a big hole. And I was like, okay, where did he go? Like Well they said he had to go somewhere. He he had to go somewhere and that he'd be back. But he did not tell people where he was going because it was when he was going. You see what they did there with the time and the faxing. So the reason (laughs) I keep calling it the time fax is because the time machine that the people who sent Billy Connolly back in time are using the way that they explain the science of it is they're basically like it's kind of like a fax machine so Paul <laughs> Paul Walker has to say stuff like you faxed my dad back to the 13th century and I I love it I hated it because it's so dumb oh the writing yep, that's why I hated it it's like it's my it's my particular brand of dumb I loved it so much <laughs> Because of course, why why wouldn't it be a time fax that sends people back in time? That's not how faxes work. I mean, that's true. But that, I mean, again, again, there, one because- of these people, these people were in 2003. They end up in the 13th century. Billy Connolly is Paul Walker's father. Nothing makes sense. Not at all. <laughs> Nothing. Fair. Fair. I why it bugged me is. I have a very boring office day job where I work for mm-hmm. lawyers and um, I have to fax things like all the time. So, so maybe that's why it bugged me that while they were talking, they're like describing fax machines. They're like, it's like you're f- making a fax, but it's through time instead, as if we physically send the pieces of paper that we send through a time machine mm-hmm. over like across the country or wherever you're faxing it's like they they, they're explaining it using the medical metaphor of faxing while assuming a fundamental misunderstanding about how digital data works and i don't know why it bugged me so bad but i was like that's not how fucking faxes work why are you using this metaphor 
But I guess they had so, to use a metaphor, so sure. And I and I love it. Um, the <laughs> one of the fun things about this movie is that when you're getting too bored, they just like sprint towards the next thing. So they get to the science lab where the time fax is, and Neil McDonough and David Thewlis, who is also in this movie, Professor Remus. I said the same thing. I just went, Professor Lupin! And when Neil McDonough showed up, I just yelled, Dr. Steven! Because I know him from Medical Investigation, which was this short-lived, I think only two-season network TV show about epidemiologists. So I wanted to be an epidemiologist for like a few minutes when I was, I don't know, however old I was when I was obsessed with that show, like 12. I was a really uninteresting child. (laughs) (laughs) I knew him specifically from there was a sci-fi channel miniseries that was this really ugly steampunk version of the wizard of oz called tin Tin man Man. yeah and he he was the tin man but in this world tin men were like a class of people and they were all like basically bounty hunters for the wicked witch of the west it is just tin man is great i love it (laughs) good lord tin man but yeah they Tell him, oh, you got to go find your dad. David Thewlis has uh, ulterior motives. He was and just so heartless. Because like, he was heartless. I don't think I've seen David Thewlis be a good guy in anything but Harry Potter. <laughs> I, I don't think I have Career. either. I was about to say, correct me if I'm wrong. But I think he's like Lupin and then like a succession of assholes. <laughs> <laughs> and Harry Potter was so so fundamentally formative to me that like he is professor lupin first and Mm -hmm. then everything else after even though there's this mounting pile of evidence that he mostly plays assholes but i'm like no but but professor lupin even though i don't know if he was a particularly good professor lupin don't tell anybody else i like the harry potter movies i read all of the books up until seven because I just glossed through seven. Seven was very big. Um, <laughs> the and I've seen and I like the movies. I engage with Harry Potter as basically as the movies first because I didn't start reading. I read Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone or Philosopher's Stone. We live in America, whatever. And uh, then I watched all of the movies basically up till Goblet of Fire before I started reading the other ones. Mm-hmm. There's the shit that people have problems with in the movies that I'm just like, no, nah, that's just fucking expanded universe shit. What the fuck are you talking about? Like, <laughs> it's <laughs> like Peeves. Who the fuck? Who gives a fuck about Peeves? Yeah, I know people who are <laughs> mad that Peeves isn't in the movie. Who the fuck? <laughs> this is just whatever. But back to the timeline. Anyway. <laughs> the uh, they gloss over like the team finding out like how the time facts works and stuff like that because you're like at the point where paul walker is like keanu reeves whoaing about um (laughs) (laughs) about the fact that they have time travel machinery and technology to like 10 minutes later like their time like four minutes later our time them getting ready to just go back in time yeah on a whim there is no thought there is no 
planning. They don't sit and come up to like come together with a plan. Like they just they're like, oh, we got to go back in time. OK, we're going back in time. Like immediately. There is no like brainstorming about it. Mm-hmm. Like they don't go over relevant information that they would need to know about the time period. Nah. None of that. They're just immediately like, oh, we got to go back in time. All right. Give me a tunic. I'm going. Basically, that's what happens. And really, these scenes where they uh, travel back in time, it just looks so painful. For it all to be wind and lighting yeah, effects. like, they just look like they were just hurting. <laughs> well, that's what that's the thing. And the, the original guy who time traveled back, which I, that a prologue was supposed to be, uh, came back with like several of his bones, like sort of shifted like like night. I was about to say Titanic plates, <laughs> tectonic plates. He did, he did. Yeah, we we should bring up the prologue because the rest of this goddamn movie sure didn't. They mentioned him once. It's like set up like it's going to be a big mysterious thing that's important to the movie. This guy shows up, comes back from time traveling. He's in the middle of the desert and none of them know why or how he got there. And all of his like bones and veins and everything have been misaligned that apparently because time traveling coming back and forth like messes up your body if you do it too much Mm. so we have this prologue they mention him once again when um professor lupin is telling the other guys that he doesn't want to tell them that the process is going to be painful and that there have been mistakes and then he never comes up again not once (laughs) there was just this guy that mysteriously showed up from time traveling in the desert and that's a mystery that is just there. They never talk about it again. Well, I'm I'm assuming it's one of the Marines that they kept sending back because there's also Neil McDonough leads a team of Marines. And we get to the point where everybody's about to travel back in time. And we've got Paul Walker, who needs to go save his dad. We've got Gerard Butler, who is also fond of Paul Walker's dad. We've got Francis O'Connor who is wide-eyed and curious, and that is the end of her personality. (laughs) And... (laughs) Genuinely. And then we have Neil McDonough and his pips, uh, the two Marines who get to follow him through the the time facts. So they do the whole... Is there? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Sweet baby Francois. Francois! son <laughs> our sweet baby francois uh yeah damn so we get to we get to the 13th century and immediately niggas start do- dropping like flies like it's it's just like <laughs> it's immediately people is getting shot in the back because the english is not out here trying to have y'all in the forest just roaming around and not being subjugated in some way so we get the two marines that go I, I was going to say go unnamed, but we do hear their names. It just doesn't matter because they die uh, less than five minutes after they're introduced. Really and uh, then everyone gets split up and they all have like little time machine remotes that they can use to jump back after they find the professor, Billy Connolly. So meanwhile, while they're in the 13th century and whatnot, back in 2003, 
their other partner that didn't go, played by Ethan Embry with a full head of hair. Good it for him. Frosted blonde. Oh, sits. and some fr- uh, yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. And his highlights. They were they were uh, they were sure a thing that <laughs> happened. It was 2003. I can forgive him the frosted tips, but I don't forgive him the rest of what he was doing in this movie. <laughs> just he was just one part of this crack team of extremely attractive archaeologists slash anthropologists he had to keep up with everyone else (laughs) um so yeah they go back to you know violent france and one of the guards the marines that get shot for some reason grabs a grenade and then like activates the grenade but also his time travel thing and then he gets back to 2003 with the grenade and blows up the time facts <laughs> they were they, they went through this whole thing about how they're not allowed to take any weapons. anything with no. them that comes like no weapons and nothing from the 21st century nothing yeah but he secretly smuggles a fucking grenade with him he had to be a hard head but for know? what reason i don't even know what was his purpose for like getting the grenade out he was uh, like that uh, and even if he if he was trying to blow up all of the french dudes right or not the french dudes blow up the english dudes who had like shot him with the arrows then why did he try to tra- time travel back like it's yeah if you, you do one or the other time travel back and save yourself or blow up the englishmen but please don't do both. But no, he did both and he blew up the fucking time facts. Yeah. So they all get caught by the English troops and brought to their leader, uh, whose name is Lord Oliver. Oliver. The English That's guy, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, played by Michael, uh, Michael Sheen, who's also in this movie. And he was the cup of coffee that this movie needed to yeah. get going. Yeah. Honestly. He's- I think he's great in this um, as as much as this movie allows. Um, invisible fourth guest Rudy says hi. Um, he is generally energetic and fun as a villain. I think I, I adore Michael Shane. So I thought he was good. He is one of like three people who are good in this Um so he made a fun villain and the English are good villains generally, just because I think we've mentioned in an episode of the show before that the English just generally did a lot of shady shit. So like, yeah, make them your villains. It's, it's more fun than the Russians. Cause we've done that enough. Way too many times. And they get, they get captured with a lady from that time period and a little background in the setup we're introduced to gerard butler's character and he's very obsessed with this uh lady who was sacrificed and her lover who didn't have a right ear this was the point where micah started guessing gerard butler's character and this lady he was trapped in this log with before they got captured, we're going to get together because that's what happens. You put a man and a woman on screen together and um, they have to get together. Mm-hmm. So, yep. uh, which ended up panning out. I and was then, right. I said it to CJ at that point because I was like, if I was right, I want you to know before the end of the movie that I guess, like, I want to guess it now so that it's out there. Because they, yeah, they put them in a cave together. He rescues her for an English dude. And I was like, oh, 
Gerard Butler's mm-hmm. way too obsessed with his sub his research subjects in this. I bet he's gonna stay behind and mm-hmm. marry this lady. And, and then I, I was right. Yeah, and then I was like, well, what is gonna end up? Ha- and then I said, what's gonna end up happening is he's gonna lose an ear and be become the dude in the statue and you yeah. were you also were right, right. <laughs> there was too much setup of that for it not to be a thing like he um gerard butler's character is explaining the significance of this like sarcophagus statue thing to paul walker and paul Wa- and he's like look he doesn't have an ear and paul walker's like i mean it's old didn't don't you think it probably just fell off and he's like no 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 it had to have been there for a reason like he had to have not had an ear but we don't know why it's a historical mystery and it's like well there's some really blatant setup also there's a lot of like Back then, men had honor and people really fell in love. Oh, and, yeah. And, and I'm just like, all right, fine. Yeah. And Paul and Paul Walker says, like, basically calls him and he's like, ah, I think that's kind of bullshit. And I had to make the note, things I never thought I'd say, but you tell him, Paul Walker. Because <laughs> he does. He goes on this tirade about, like, yeah, men had honor and war was glorious. And Paul Walker's just like, yeah, that, that doesn't seem like a thing to me i think things probably aren't all that different and i was just like yes "Yes." (laughs) you tell him but they go to the uh, they end up getting taken to lord oliver who finds out that francois is french who and you know this because his name is francois Mm -hmm. and uh since he's at war with the french and thinks that francois is a spy but they say francois is not a spy uh he forces francois they say that he's a translator and he forces Francois to say I'm a spy and then has one of his guards run him through with the sword. Drops and I was his body like, oh. really fast. And that, which is, this movie is very Song of Ice and Fire in the way that it deals with its characters that aren't trying to fuck something. Yeah, it just, <laughs> it just fucking murks him <laughs> one after the other. With no hesitation. Francois didn't uh, want to go, too. Yeah, and that's how we I, knew he was he doomed. Yeah, I w- but I will say, as soon as they said Francois has to go, and Francois didn't want to go, he had that little hesitation. I, I knew said, that oh, he yeah. was going to go. I just Francois, knew Francois's days is numbered. And he was so sweet. Yeah, he was the he was the most likable person in the movie, yeah. basically. And <laughs> then murdered him. He died due to ancient xenophobia. So can we can we take... Um, a second for me to ruin time travel and it's fun for everyone because oh, we're sure. there talking about language like he like oh it Francois shouldn't was- be too hard because <laughs> I was about to say, it shouldn't be incredibly hard because the time travel in this movie isn't incredibly fun no it's not doctor who this is not mm-hmm. um because for time travel to work as a concept for your movie i just feel like your movie has to be a level of fun and silly for you to suspend all of your disbelief about the realities of time travel. Mm-hmm. I mean, and this movie machine. takes itself. Yeah. They're like basing it on a fucking facts. They're taking themselves very seriously about all of the like history and explaining the science of it. And so they're playing it very seriously, mm-hmm. but then ignoring all of these very important things. Like the fact that, Oh, friends, 
Francois our translator and they're all speaking modern day English and Francois is translating some modern day French and there's a lot of instances of modern day French straight out of Google Translate in this movie like yeah. whoever did the French in this movie like there's one possible native speaker and that is the actor that played Arnaud de Serval, um, mm-hmm. who shows up later he's Gerard Butler's lady's brother but like the rest of it just sounds like it came straight out of my first French to English dictionary <laughs> and no one is a native speaker and really obviously so and like this isn't how language works because <laughs> both French and English would have been unrecognizable in the 1300s functionally both of those languages were completely different languages to what they were today so none of our time travelers should be able to understand a word anybody says but they don't acknowledge that they don't give them a science to explain it away like in doctor who there's like a thing where oh the tardis has a universal translator so that's why everyone can always understand the doctor and his companion like it's silly there's no real science behind it but it gives you and out to at least explain that. But like, I've had to read medieval French. <laughs> um, I like, I majored in French in college and I had to read like medieval French texts for various classes. And it is a different language functionally. None of the verb tenses work the same. <laughs> and English is exactly the same. Like this would have been like relatively close in era to like Chaucerian English. And anyone who is like an English major or whatever that's had to read that, like you have to translate it. So, but they're they're playing, and the reason this bugged me so much in a movie about time travel, which is a silly concept, is that they played it so seriously. And they're like, oh, they're able to do this because they have all of this actual anthropological, but we're going to call it archaeological knowledge. But there's these huge, like, gaping things that anyone with a basic understanding of history would know that they would have their hurdles that they would have to have gone over that they just don't acknowledge. And that bugged the shit out of me. And all the French in this movie bugged the shit out of me. <laughs> One thing that bugged me, uh, and it was not the language uh, stuff because I am not the Micah half of this podcast, <laughs> <laughs> was the fact that the, it just, the movie wasn't funny. And maybe that's something uh, to be said about my sensibilities as a moviegoer and the mm-hmm. way action movies tend to work today, mm-hmm. the sort of marvelization of, uh, of action adventure films and most blockbusters. Um, we're, uh, we've gotten so used to everybody for like uh, to movie scripts that have uh, three pages of just dialogue in between punches and explosions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, people had like a couple of one-liners or something like that but everything's played pretty straight no yeah. one's a jokester usually a movie like this has like a jokester um, very bland which is which is funny because like I think that's a prime thing for Billy Connolly to do by nature of being Billy Connolly yeah. and uh, he does not get to flex those muscles here and I thought that was kind of disappointing 
Yeah, it's a very, yeah, like you said, James, it's a very bland script generally because it doesn't lean into the high drama of it all either. Like these people get killed, but they haven't been set up in a way that we really care about them. Like, like no one else who watches this movie is going to love Francois like I did, I assume. But <laughs> just because I get too easily attached, and I was like, "Oh, he's a baby, and he's French." We get really easily attached to the <laughs> to the smallest side characters in all yeah. of these. Movies. We named our best supporting character award after Hunch from Rockadoodle. <laughs> like, I feel like we are the exception, not the norm, in how we get attached to characters. But like, they didn't they didn't make us care about anyone enough to really like care when they died. Um, and they don't they don't expand on like the emotionality of that happening. They don't make it dramatic, but th- but it's not funny either. So, yeah, it's just a bunch of like dramatic shit happening that we're not made to care about. And we don't have any that, comedy yeah. to offset that either that we don't care about. And like generally the characters don't care about either because the people who are dropping dead at first, I mean, I think you get a bit of emotionality with Francois, uh, yeah. just cause Fr- Francois goodness, um, uh, as a, you know, human being who never stepped out of line and did anything wrong in his life and was loving and caring to the rest of the world and didn't deserve to die. Um, a cinnamon roll, sweet summer child. Yes. Uh, he, he got some tears and stuff like that. But basically everybody else was just like the two Marines and then Neil McDonough. We were just watching <laughs> through McDonough's the movie, right? Scene. We were just watching through the movie. And then he just, we were, out, we were just like, hold the fuck up. His death scene, like, it was just so fast. Like, he just like fell to the ground. It was so fast and it was so fucked up. He drugged like, <laughs> under like the, uh, what was it? Um, the wagon? Yeah, like he just drug under the, the wagon. So, yeah, what happens is they try to escape and then um, Neil McDonough is sort of shown to be kind of a coward. He's trying to get back in a way and unbeknownst to them that the time facts has been blown to Smithers and Reigns. Um <laughs> <laughs> and they're they're just trying to get back. He's like, why isn't it working? Why isn't it working? He's trying to like be a coward and leave them there. But Gerard Butler and his ancient lady friend who he wants to kiss, even though she probably hasn't brushed her teeth ever in her life, are floating <laughs> down a river towards the French. Uh, Neil McDonough gets separated uh, and Benny, Billy Connolly gets separated from... Paul Walker and Francis O'Connor, who this movie really wants you to care about. It really does. And I really didn't. They had the most boringest, like, subplot. It was just so boring. And it's like, I cannot care because it's just, ugh. It's just so yeah, boring. Yeah, I, I didn't care She's either. She's just like, I love archaeology, aka anthropology. We can't be lovers that is francis o'connor's arc yeah i am a woman with a job i cannot possibly do a romance yeah and paul walker his arc with the outside of having to go back in time to save his father is pretty girl do you want a beer do you want to st- pretty girl do you want to step away from rocks and dirt for a beer and you okay that's fine. When they gave Gerard Butler the much more interesting romantic subplot, 
if the entire movie had been about that, about him going back in time and happening to fall in love with this historical figure that he idolized for so long, if that was the whole movie, you could build such a cool movie around that, I think. But it was just this tiny part of this whole thing that is just whatever and keep gerard butler too because he is i was more charmed by gerard butler in this than i have been charmed by him in a while in Damn. literally anything since 300 basically where has this gerard butler been yeah because he's the closest we get to funny he's like awkwardly trying to figure out if claire is single when they're in the boat but it's 1300s france and like people don't date like there's no there is no tinder in the hundred years war so he's like trying to like that scene was charming as he's like sheepishly trying to like ask like are you are you married she's like no he's like are you seeing anyone she's like i see you right now and so like i thought like i liked that scene like that was charming that was charming yeah. He is just generally charming in this. He gets to be more swashbuckling than the rest because they give us a little bit of yeah. setup where he like is practicing with a bow and arrow is there, at the beginning. Is there a world where Gerard Butler was Jack Sparrow? But like Ooh. a Jack Sparrow who didn't get annoying after the first movie? After seeing this, I think so. Like I think I I think that's those are the vibe he gave me uh old school sort of uh matinee idol feels yeah in this and i like that i like that a lot he's he's probably my favorite part of the movie oh yeah uh, same but yeah he he uh tries to go back and get his friends once he gets claire over to the french and safe and sound uh, and then ends up getting uh, knocked over the head and caught again and thrown onto the wagon. But then we find out that one of the Marines that they sent back in the time facts decided to stay and became uh, Degir, right? Yeah, him. Yeah. Became sort of the second in command to Lord Oliver, the evil Englishman. Uh, and then thinks that Neil McDonough has come back in time to assassinate him. <laughs> so then Neil McDonough is just stabbed in the heart and drugged behind a wagon. Just, just rolling, rolling, <laughs> rolling along. Just like, oh, what the fuck? We both sort of were just sitting there like mouth agape. <laughs> yeah. Like they're really going to do Neil McDonough like this? Because Neil McDonough was like the first character in the main cast that we saw <laughs> when the movie started. Yeah. <laughs> so this all sort of ends up leading to the actual battle of this time period that they came back to where the french try to lay, lay siege to this english stronghold and aside from some really interesting shots especially with the archery stuff mm-hmm and generally everything that uh gerard butler did again mvp of the movie i was i was finding it very hard to care about any of it (laughs) especially because they told you like several times over the course of the movie or implicitly or explicitly that whatever happens doesn't matter (laughs) and then it you're so caught up in this battle that you forget that they have to get back to 2003 and meanwhile in 2003 everybody's squirreling around trying to get the time facts working again much to the chagrin of david thulis who 
doesn't want them to come back for some reason? I think, I guess there was some like nefarious shit he was doing that he doesn't want them to reveal, but I don't know how they would know about it. I assumed it had something to do with homeboy who showed up in the desert, but then he Mm -hmm. never got brought up again. So I guess because he positioned it as being worried about them coming back deformed or something like that, because they're sort of hodgepodging together a new time facts. And, but like the way the character is portrayed, you feel like there's an ulterior motive, but you don't, they don't tell you what it is. Yeah. And when you when they sort of kind of reveal it towards the end it just doesn't make sense so uh the the battle and stuff is all happening he ends up killing a guy who uh he has to convince to who's trying to convince him to actually go through with bringing people back in the allotted time because he has had it up to here with Ethan Embry Ethan Embry I had had it up to here with Ethan Embry <laughs> yeah he, he wasn't with the shits <laughs> He wasn't with it at all, <laughs> at all. Because he, he was like, "You bring my friends back here right now." <laughs> he had angry letter face all over this I movie. I feel like he did a lot of screeching. I don't even know he if he do. did or if it was just his t- the combination of his tone of voice and his face that made me feel like it was screeching. He does kind of look like a bird. Yeah, yeah. He oh, he drove me insane. Like I, my only note about him was like that yellow angry bird. From the Angry Birds. Yeah, that's yes, that is the one. I Might my well. only note about him was Ethan Embry is fucking obnoxious, and that was all I that was all I cared about with regards to the B plot. It, and it, it just doesn't make sense. And every time we had to cut back to it, it just made the plot even more convoluted. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted everything to stop. So because it was already so convoluted, like everyone, and there's so many moving parts. Yeah, everyone is having side quests, and then different people. People will get back together and then split up again and that'll be a new combination of people to have a side quest so by the time we get to the battle you've got is anyone with the french yeah you got uh you got francis o'connor and paul walker digging a tunnel in a monastery to get the french under the English stronghold so they can sort of attack them from the fl- from the flank you've got lady claire who's come back to die because they That's just it. the english capture her again off yeah, screen yep. and they're just like so, and they even say like how did they get you and she's just like they got me yeah <laughs> so and and gerard butler threatening to blow up their armory uh to sort of save her life and i was gonna say neil mcdonough is off doing something somewhere but no he's not because he did no he's fucking uh, dead <laughs> <laughs> so so those are those are our uh our our chosen few there and you get like this genuinely engaging battle between michael sheen who was an interesting part of the movie mm-hmm. and gerard butler who was the most interesting part of the movie i like that but then they sort of fake you out as if like paul walker is going to be the one to kill michael sheen yeah and i'm like you did not earn this but why <laughs> What did he do besides crawl in a hole and get kissed? <laughs> nothing. Literally nothing. Like, whatever. So, oh, and, and Billy Connolly is running around. 
because that that's what he's here for i yeah. guess so there's some stuff about greek fire and oliver forces him to it's this like i mean it does exist it's this like so combustible many moving parts so many so many <laughs> but uh yeah and they end up sort of overtaking the french just in time to uh sink their little time medallions up and head back in the time facts also uh david thulis evil scientist man ends up killing somebody and decides to sacrifice himself to go back in time oh i thought Uh, he just like was running in there to try to stop it from going and he got stuck in there right at the moment they were coming back well maybe it's like a rorschach test (laughs) and you just you just see you just see whatever you want and then dick donna's kids still get money (laughs) from us renting that thing um so they end up getting back which is which is funny because the music's very triumphant this okay talk a little bit about the score before we wrap up it is the most extra like unnecessarily bombastic at moments Mm -hmm. score like it's like it's like right as we open it's the same i think it might even be the same music here from the end as they go backwards there's this like Mm -hmm. really extra loud bombastic opening score like it's like star wars level extra like with the with the slow scroll that's what it made Mm -hmm. me think of and i was like oh wow you that's a star wars no. And boy, howdy, those end credits uh, blessed the ears of the ushers who was cleaning them theaters. <laughs> right? Because <laughs> goodness. It's like it's trying to make up for the blandness of the rest of the movie with how extra the score is. It is the musical equivalent of the tweets uh, with the hand clap emoji. This is important. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, so... Yeah, they get back uh, to 2003. Gerard Butler decides to stay because, of course, he was always going to. Yeah. And they come out of the time facts and they see Ethan Embry and he's like, oh, you're back. But, like, well, you expect him to be like, oh, you're back because the music is very triumphant. But then his face just drops and he's like, Francois. <laughs> <laughs> I will give you that, Ethan Embry. You're the only person in this goddamn movie who cared about Francois as much as we did. Yeah. <laughs> Francois. And uh, we don't know what happened to the rest of the scientists uh, at Time Facts Incorporated, but we go back to the dig that they were at doing uh, anthropology and calling it archaeology. And they find the statue of Lady Claire and the man with no ear and find inscribed not only that they like lived and died together but also that they had kids and named them after a uh, boring old Paul Walker character and boring old Francis O'Connor character but then also Francois so I appreciated that because he's the best character in the movie the so best. the best character he, he might as well have a kid named yeah. after him generally that's it that's that's timeline and I want to say that I am glad that I watched it. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's one of, I think it's 
literally the only Dick Donner movie I had never seen before because I just didn't know it existed. But me being glad that I watched it because I'm glad that I watch a lot of things. It just doesn't really doesn't, doesn't mean we mean think other people should watch it too. <laughs> necessarily. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. I'm glad that it's not something that we're like a hundred percent down on. <laughs> but also, uh, I was hoping that we were going to come out with, you know, uh, another surprise like uh like next week no not really oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> i'm not mad that i watched it like i have yeah. been mad at some of the movies we've watched <laughs> but this so this isn't one of those <laughs> yeah this is just uh this is just a thing that happened uh if we didn't see it here if we still had cable we'd probably see it on tbs at some point yeah. <laughs> but uh yeah when we come back we're gonna give the movie some freezies Have fun with the clip. Yeah. That's... Just Ethan Embry screeching. <laughs> Francois? <laughs> Francois, um. yes, that's what it should be. ITC is constantly advancing itself in science. Thank you. 30 years ago, the business world was revolutionized with the advent of a machine that could instantly send documents anywhere Johnson, in the world with the push of a button. Mr. Doniger's vision was to do the same with three-dimensional objects. What do you mean, like a fax or something? Exactly. So we're back, and this is the point in the show where we give out Freezy Awards. They're awards for things we liked in the movie, things that we thought were funny in the movie, stuff that we forgot shit on in the recap. And James, since you are our guest, you get to give out your freezies first. So do you have freezies for Richard Donner's timeline? Richard Donner's Michael Crichton's timeline. <laughs> I do have a few. Uh, starting off, um, Ethan, his, his just, <laughs> his blonde hair. His frosted tips? His blonde hair <laughs> in this movie just, damn, it just threw me for a loop. <laughs> and then, like, he had a, g- g- I guess he had a g- g- goat's tea to match. Mm-hmm. I was like. It was 2003. It was 2003. At least yeah. it wasn't a soul patch. Yeah. <laughs> that would have been all bad. I was about to say, it could have been worse. <laughs> yeah. And the score. The score was just, I mean, f- for this boring of a film, like, it was just way too much. It was just way too loud. Which is way too much. But that's I all. mean, we don't we don't disagree. Nope. I sure do. <laughs> uh, Michael, <laughs> Michael, what are your freezes? So my first freezy is my hunch from Rockadoodle Best Supporting Actor Award, and that definitely goes to Gerard Butler. He was easily the most charming presence in this movie. Um, I enjoyed him specifically in this. And like you said, if the movie had just been about him time traveling to 100 years war France and finding love, like great movie would enjoy it. Um, So he gets my best supporting actor award. And then kind of piggybacking off of that, my second freezy goes to my OTP of the movie, my first ship to actually sail in one of these. It's Merrick and Claire, (laughs) Lady Claire. Um, I thought their romance was charming. It was real easy to see right from the first 10 seconds they were on screen together. And like, what a Disney romance we had here in the middle of this otherwise very boring movie. They'd known each other for literally six hours and he decides to not go back to modern day just so that he can be married to this woman he has known for, and I repeat, six hours. 
Real Disney love right there. Incredible. I stand. And it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> and my final freezy um for the dumbest science goes to <laughs> everything about the time facts and the B plots. None of their explanations for it used coherent metaphors. They left out so many important aspects of time travel. Time travel needs to be more fun for it to make sense or for me to suspend my disbelief enough to buy it. And this just tried to use ostensibly highfalutin science that was just really dumb. So for the dumbest science, I I, I give the award to the time facts. And those are my freezies. Nice. Uh, I'm also going to piggyback on your uh, hunch from Rockadoodle, Best Supporting Actor Award for Gerard Butler, because he brought it. He's the MVP of the movie. Uh, my second freezy will go to the escape sequence from the English compound. Uh, oh, yeah. Genuinely excited. Francis O'Connor. Yeah uh did a good work there as did gerard butler there was some cool action beats there and i would also like to just give it up for the casting director yeah (laughs) because what a stellar cast you got for a movie that was never going to utilize them properly (laughs) outside outside of (laughs) gerard butler really good for you uh you earned that paycheck because none of these people needed to be here (laughs) but i also just like i missed seeing paul walker and stuff and maybe that has more to do with the fact that we just don't anymore than anything else mm-hmm. but uh it was it was cool to see him and 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 interesting to see him uh in a capacity where he is not racing a car uh next to a uh, uh vin diesel who <laughs> I, I don't dislike vin diesel i just don't get the appeal that's fair Event uh, that's a talk for another time. That that yeah, that's because he's he's like he's like this greasy baked potato of a person. <laughs> <laughs> and he's and he like is always speaking as if you just called him and woke him up. <laughs> and I just don't get it. And it's fine. It's whatever. <laughs> now we've come to the point in the show <laughs> where we decide whether or not the movie is still fresh or freezer burnt. Uh, James, is timeline still fresh or freezer burnt? Um, I'm definitely gonna say freezer burnt. Uh, this is my second time watching it, mm-hmm. and just I'm just like, did you like it when you saw it the first time? Yeah. Yeah, like some of it. You're also probably like 11 years old. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you know, when I was like, uh, you know, when they got Paul Walker in it, you know. Okay. Instead of stealing DVD players out of the back of a semi truck, this time he's stealing Billy Connolly from the past. <laughs> I understand your reasoning. If I was, if I was like, if I knew about this movie in 2003, I probably would have been all over the shit. It's fine. <laughs> Uh, (laughs) Micah (laughs) is the movie still fresh or freezer burnt yeah it's freezer burnt it was when it wasn't boring it was dumb (laughs) 
but Gerard Butler was fun. Michael Sheen was fun. Like it is not, it is not like a 100% terrible at all. Um, I'm not mad that I watched it, but like, I don't want to rewatch it and I don't necessarily yeah. think that anybody else needs to watch it. So it's going to be freezer burnt for me. Yeah. And I'm going to echo those sentiments. It is freezer burnt. I don't, I wouldn't begrudge anybody watching it. It's got some redeeming qualities and it's fun to see all of those people together. But, you know, just a a bit of a wasted premise uh, built on top of like faulty science fiction Mm -hmm. and which forgive me Michael Crichton fans because I know there's a lot of you he's written so many things Um, but faulty science fiction I think is his genre (laughs) yeah Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. which is which is also why like there are there are like almost no good adaptations of Michael Crichton shit like (laughs) it's like Jurassic Park and that's it and I tell people all the time Jurassic Park is a franchise built on one good movie (laughs) because like people like go out of their way to talk about how and this is me CJ who goes to see all of the Jurassic movies in theaters because I grew up loving dinosaurs and the I don't know it's it, there's all these movies and there's like a hundred of them only one of them is good the book is also bad and basically anything else i've experienced that has been touched by michael Crichton is also bad <laughs> so this is this just added fuel onto that fire yeah. which i was really hoping to find another michael Crichton thing that i liked because we almost watched congo oh god and uh i've and Micah's mad at me for Ninja Turtles, so I don't want to subject <laughs> her to Congo. Do not let her watch Congo. Don't. It's about a. It's about a monkey. Mm. You know do how it. I feel about, about monkeys. A, a killer monkey. Mm. A, a big white killer monkey. Nope. Terrorizing nah. Daryl. Daryl Hannah, because it was the nineties. Mm, no, thank you. Um. So yeah, that's another episode of Below Freezing. Uh, James, thank you for talking about this movie with us i'm sorry i had to make you watch it again and ruin your childhood <laughs> it's all good man. no and i have fun nice uh and where can people find you on the internet um you can follow me on instagram at photo jimmy uh my uh, website is a uh, photo jimmy dot c um o and that's pretty much it sweet and Micah where can people find you on the internet you can find me on Twitter at Micah Renee B and you can find me on Instagram at Loki stroke the lemur and you can find me at CJ period on Instagram and on Twitter that's C-E-E-J-A-Y and the word period I'm assuming you know how to spell it you can find the show at below 32 pod on Facebook Instagram and Twitter leave us a review if you like the show five star reviews mean other people get to listen to it and it goes up whatever that arbitrary chart is that's us i'm assuming that's how it works i haven't looked into it very much (laughs) and and next week we are finally jumping into pure flicks's samson yeah what a time what a time we had what a time not the time i was Uh, expecting to have not the time it's actually a re- i would it's actually a really interesting episode next week so uh i would i would definitely tune in but until then y'all stay frosty